Start again. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are uh, celebrating Move Camp today, especially in our second service. So great to see all those kids having such a great time. I had the chance to be in all three campuses uh, this week just to kind of observe and uh, ran the slip and slide on uh, wet, you know, the water day there, and uh, just had an awesome time and so amazed by the dedicated staff that had given so many hours to making this happen, so many amazing volunteers, adults and teens, and even some of our preteens getting involved in loving on these kids. And I know just so many people kept uh, sharing these little stories of kids who maybe at the beginning were like, I don't want to be here at camp. And by the end, were like, this was the best day of my life ever. So it was just so exciting to see what God was doing. And I'm really proud of our everyone who uh, was involved in that. And so we look forward to hosting some of those families uh, in, uh, here at this campus and at our Yorkson campus. So thank you to uh, everyone who was involved in that, and especially thank, thank you to God for that. Well, we are continuing to learn about prayer today. Uh, last week, Michelle did a great job of kind of explaining to us the things that were on Jesus' heart as he explained his own prayer to his disciples. And so today we're going to dive in deeper to what it means to be people of prayer like Jesus. What if you had a true friend, a true father who you knew would never tire of you bringing your requests to him? Just over 10 years ago, I was in the season of life where I was really wrestling with what God had for me next. I've been working for a number of years at Trinity Western and was feeling this nudge perhaps to move into church ministry. I didn't know what that looked like. I began to knock on doors. I began to ask around. I began to ask God, what, what do you have for me here? And it was uh, really a, a challenging process. I wondered, maybe would a door open in the church that I was attending? Was there another church out there that was good? Um, you know, I, tons of conversations with mentors. I prayed about this so much. I was writing in my journal so much as I wrestled and tried to knock on doors that didn't seem to open, other doors that opened for a moment and then closed. And I was just asking and seeking and knocking and wondering, God, does anyone even want what I have to give? It was a long journey and so challenging. How long would I need to keep asking and seeking and knocking before God would give me an answer? Maybe you've been carrying something like that in your life. Maybe it's a physical need, a health need, and, and you've been longing for someone to give you a diagnosis or maybe a specialist appointment or, or just to, to be seen by a doctor or something. You know, you're just asking God, bring healing in my life. Maybe it's a financial need that your family has hit hard times and you're asking God to provide a job for you and you just can't find that open door. Maybe it's a relationship that's strained and you're longing to see reconciliation happen. As you've prayed about it, just it doesn't seem like the doors are opened yet. Maybe it's a spiritual need. You're just feeling this deep longing for more of God, and you're asking God to revive you or to revive our church, and you've just been on your knees saying, God, I know there's more. You've, asked, you've been asking for, for this. Or maybe you, there's someone that you love that you've been praying would come to know Jesus, and it's been a long journey of prayer, and you're wondering how much more you should pester God before you give up. Maybe you've been knocking for so long on any one of these requests, and you, you wonder, is God even awake? Is God even paying attention? 
Eugene Peterson has this, this uh, paraphrase of Psalm 44 where he uses these words. It says, get up, God. Are you going to sleep all day? Wake up. Don't you care what happens to us? Why do you bury your face in the pillow? Why pretend things are just fine with us? Here we are, flat on our faces in the dirt, held down with a boot on our necks. Get up and come to our rescue. If you love us so much, help us. Do you relate to that prayer? Have you ever thought to pray like that? Do you think you're allowed to pray like that? Well, this week we are in Luke 11 again, and perhaps you remember as we read it together with Michelle last week that the chapter begins like this, that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And we learned how Jesus, like many of the teachers of his day, gave his followers a special prayer that would be kind of a tutor for them. It would teach them all the things that, want, that God wants to have a conversation with them about, wants to hear from them about. This was the prayer that Jesus was always praying with His Heavenly Father. So today we continue to learn about prayer, and I think what happens here is that Jesus anticipates some of the questions that sort of bubble to the surface when we get involved in this relationship of prayer. Because sometimes what we pray for is not given immediately. It's not answered immediately. God is dishonored in places. Some essential needs go unmet for a time. Shame remains in our lives or estrangement or we just we feel like there are threats around us. We start to ask, is prayer not working? Is God unable to fulfill my request? Is He not interested? Should I be, what should I be doing then if I pray and I don't see an answer? And today, Jesus gives us two vivid examples that teach us how to pray like He prayed, how to know God the way He knew God. Jesus wants to teach us this simple lesson, that we can pray boldly and constantly because God is the true friend and the true Father. We can pray boldly and constantly because God is the true friend and the true Father. So let's dive into Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. If you have your Bibles, you can open those up. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Jesus wants us to know these two things about God. One, that God is the true friend, and second, that he is the true Father. And he illustrates that God is the true friend by presenting this problem that might have been a common challenge that someone might face in that day. See, in Jesus' day, you couldn't just run to Costco and stock up for the next two weeks or the next month, and you just filled up your your fridge and your freezer. You didn't have those things. So you went every day to the local market just to get what you needed, especially if you were just a normal person. You probably earned what you needed to buy the day's um, supplies. But on the other hand, there was this cultural expectation that you always had to be ready to show hospitality. If a friend came, if a family member came, you were obligated to supply what they needed, to give them a bed to sleep in, to give them a meal. And if you couldn't do that, it was an aspect of shame on you. You, you had to feel a little bit of humiliation for not being ready to take care of them. So Jesus says, think of yourself in that situation. Think of the, the possible shame that you're, you're going to face here, right? No supplies, the markets are closed, and this embarrassment is coming down on you. You have to appeal to the goodwill of more, a more wealthy friend, a more prepared friend. So you can imagine this, right? Our friend Reuben, or yeah, our friend Reuben comes to the window of his friend Asher and says, Hey, hey, Asher. Asher. And Asher's in bed with the kids going, Oh, Reuben, what on earth? Do you you know what time it is? Asher, Asher, you awake? Oh, seriously. You know how hard it is to get Miriam to sleep? I can't. Go away. Asher, I'm really in a bind. Please help me. No, I can't help you. Go away. So Reuben goes out into the, you know, the the village square, and he's pacing, and he's trying to figure out, what am I going to do? I have to figure out... And he really has no other options. And so he goes back and he bugs his buddy Reuben till Reuben has to do something, right? So Reuben could ignore him, but eventually the kids are going to be woken up. Or he can get up and start a fight and then the dogs start barking and then the kids wake up again, right? And so at some point, it doesn't matter how sleepy sleepy he is, he's just going to get up, go to the kitchen, quickly give his buddy something to, to give to his friend and shoo him away, right? You get the picture. So Jesus says, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, right? He's not his friend at that time of night. (laughs) Because of his friend's shameless boldness or shameless audacity, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Jesus observes that even when friendship breaks down, sometimes just pure weariness will lead people to give you what you want. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation when you are in a real bind. How many people have tried to get a passport for their family in the last few months? Anyone have a friend who stood in line since two in the morning just to get in the office, right? Or maybe an unexpected bill has come and you're you're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I have to pay this, but I don't have it. 
or your doctor's told you that we have a concern and you need a specialist appointment and the nearest one is eight months out, right? And you get in this place of really being in a bind. And the emotions that bubble up in that, right? The panic, the anxiety, the, the, the frantic searching for a solution. You can't take no for an answer. So you get in that lineup. You sell something just to make the bill uh, make it so you can pay the bill. You look for all the options, right? Desperate times make for desperate measures. Well, the good news is that God is not a sleeping friend who needs to be worn down before he answers. What Jesus is using here is a teaching technique called how much more. He's saying if it's it's true in this little situation Then, when you talk about God in all His greatness, of course you can expect so much more. So if a friendship, even a friendship with boundaries, eventually breaks down and responds, then surely a God who has no limits will respond to us when we pray, when we bring our bold and persistent requests to Him. Because God is the true friend. He is the better friend. And that's why Jesus gives us these cherished instructions in prayer. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Pray boldly and constantly. Because God is the true friend. Now, this doesn't mean if I just ask for a new truck, I can wake up the next morning, there's going to be in my, in my driveway, right? It's not, God, I need an answer to my question now, and He just gives you that perfect guarantee. Every, you know, every request gets a five working days sort of turnaround, and it'll all come back to you. And you knock on the door for that job, and for sure, it's going to come next week, right? It's really important to pay attention to the verb tenses that Jesus uses here. Jesus uses the present active imperative. What does that mean? What he's saying is be continuously asking, be continuously seeking, be continuously knocking, right? Be like Reuben. Hey, Asher, Asher, Father, Father. And what is it that we should be continually asking and seeking and knocking about? It's not just for the new truck or the answered question or the new job or the new client. It's for the prayer that Jesus has taught us, right? Be continuously asking the Father to be revealed in all His glory for His kingdom to come. Be continuously seeking daily bread from your Father. Be continuously knocking on the door of reconciliation every time that it is needed. Be continuously hiding in the protection of your Father. Paul said it most briefly in 1 Thessalonians 5, right? Pray continually. Pray boldly and constantly because God is the true friend. And now Jesus makes an observation here. It could be seen as a promise as well, but I think what he's saying is this is kind of how things work. If you are like Reuben and you're praying boldly and constantly to your true friend, then the verb tense that Jesus uses here is future passive indicative. So it means continuously ask, certainly receive. Continuously seek, certainly find. Continuously knock, 
certainly doors will open. If we continuously give our attention to something, then most certainly we will see results. Now, of course, that raises the question, why do we not, why is there such a wait for so many things? And there could be many reasons for this. God answers us on different timelines. Maybe there's a plan that He is playing out, and for us it seems like the answer is delayed, but for Him, in His eternal perspective, it's right on time. Maybe God is waiting because our waiting is going to bring a greater conformity in our lives to His will as we begin to to see the things bubble up that, that He wants to deal with in us. Or maybe He's waiting to really confirm, maybe even to ourselves, that we really do want this, that we're sincere in our asking. Lots of reasons that God might have to wait from our perspective to answer. It raises another question, though. Why would God, who can do anything, wait for our prayers before doing what He could do? Why would God, who can do anything, wait for us to pray before He does it? In The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard has these thoughts. He says that prayer is never a mechanism. It's always a personal negotiation. Prayer is never a mechanism, right? You put your coin in the machine and it... I have what I want, right? It's not a mechanism. It's a personal negotiation. What does he mean by that? You see, the kingdom of God is not a a series of machines working together. The kingdom of God is a place where persons, where people interact, the person of God interacting with us as persons. It's about loving relationship. And so in His kingdom, God has arranged the world so that our prayers can move His hand without frustrating His plans. God has arranged the world so that our prayers can move His hand without frustrating His plans. And God responding to our prayers, waiting for our prayers, is not something that diminishes who He is or diminishes His sovereignty. Rather, and these are, these are uh, Dallas Willard's words, he says, it's far greater for God to be flexible and yet able to achieve the good goals one has set So far from fitting the classical pattern of God as the unmoved mover, the God shown in the historical record, by that he means the Bible, is the most moved mover. God has arranged the world so that our prayers can move his hand without frustrating his plans. And you can see this all the way through Scripture with all these different characters that God interacts with. It is God's delight. It is God's design to collaborate with His people, to work with His people, to get His work done. And so, if we persevere in asking boldly and constantly for the things that Jesus teaches us to pray for, most certainly we will see answers to our prayers as God determines them to be best answered. God truly is a good friend. But Jesus takes it farther and says, that God is also the true Father, the better Father. And He wants us to pray boldly and constantly because God is the true Father. And this comes through another how much more lesson. 
He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You then, who are evil or corrupted, know how to give good gifts to your children. This is something Jesus assumes is perfectly obvious, right? A good, just a decent parent is not going to play cruel pranks on their child. If a, if a child makes a, a reasonable request for a snack from the pantry, they're not going to be handing them something that endangers their life. Even corrupted, sinful people know this, right? There's, a, there's a, an, an element of human decency still built into the human race in spite of sin. But Jesus says, if that's true, then how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus wants us to know that we have this heavenly Father, this true Father. That means our identity is children. We are children of the true Father. And that's a closer relationship than a friend. A father, is it means we live in the house of God. We live in the very place where God is. And we can expect to be treated with dignity and decency in His house. How much more than with human fathers can children who have a true father expect to have their basic needs met as we live in his house? Now, I don't know about you, but as I read that verse, the the gift that comes out at the end is a little bit of a surprise, right? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? kind of comes out of nowhere. So why is this an appropriate answer to our prayers? If we're praying for that need that we have, if we're praying for these different parts of the Lord's Prayer, how is it the Holy Spirit that is the answer to this? I see kind of the, this answer is relevant because of the things that Jesus says would be bad gifts, right? The serpent or the scorpion. In Scripture, the serpent is this personification of the evil one. This is how Satan, the enemy, shows up in our lives. He's dangerous. He, he has this threat to us, and he's constantly seeking for ways to tempt people into abandoning God. And in the ancient world, the scorpion was hugely feared, right? It had this sting that they did not have an antidote for. And so, if you were stung by a scorpion, for sure, you were going to get really sick and possibly die. And because of that, the empires and their armies would often put them on their weapons just to strike fear into the people that they were facing in battle. And so these two symbols capture two of our great fears, right? The fear of evil spiritual powers coming against us and the fear of evil earthly empires that want to just crush us with their power. And Jesus says, you are children of a true father who will not leave you to the wiles of your enemy, that great enemy, the serpent, He will not leave you to be crushed by the worldly empires who oppose Him. Instead, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And this points to the fact that everything we need, our physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, financial needs, all of it is sourced in God Himself, right? The Scriptures say, from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. So, if we have God, we lack nothing. 
It might seem that specific answers to our prayers are delayed, and Jesus says that's going to happen. In this world, we will have trouble. And yet, there, there's this sure promise that as we continually, continuously ask and seek and knock, we will most certainly receive the greatest gift of all, the Holy Spirit. And this is important because as children, we don't want to just walk into the kitchen and find a meal on the table every day, right? We want to know that the house is occupied by a strong, superior, loving presence who's always going to be counted on to take care of our needs. That we don't have to guess where things are going to come from, that our Father is always present and caring for us. And that is what the gift of the Holy Spirit is. It's this presence that will always give us that deep assurance. So much more than our earthly fathers would or could, our Heavenly Father gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us that sense in a very real way that we are held in the everlasting arms that we just sang about. He is our true Father, and we are His true children. So we can pray boldly and constantly because God is our true Father. What an invitation this is. Now, what does this look like to pray boldly? How do, we, how do we approach God? How do we talk to Him about these requests that we have as we bring even the Lord's Prayer to Him? Well, Dr. Tim Keller um, summarizes some thoughts that he found in the, the uh, writings of J.I. Packer on how to pray boldly. This is from Keller's book on prayer. And he says there are three things that we can do. The first thing is that we reason with God. We reason with God. Well, what does that mean? When we reason with God, we root ourselves in what God has shown us about Himself. We, we find the promises of God. We find the character of God. We find the ways of God. And then we speak that back to Him. We say, God, you promised that this would be true, and so we ask you to bring that about. It, as far as we can tell, God, this is the time of that to come to pass. This is the need that we have now. We're claiming, we're longing for your promises to come. God, you've always said that you are gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. God, would you be that in this place for us? God, we have seen how you rescued people from slavery, how you rescued people from exile. God, we have places where people are enslaved and we're reasoning with God on the basis of what he has told us about himself. That is bold prayer because we have the right to ask those things. God has told us to ask for those things. But the second thing we must do is we must also pray with that attitude of, pray with that attitude of surrender. And why is this? Well, often we pray, and as we wait and we don't see the answers come immediately, this frustration starts to bubble up, right? God, you know that I need this. God, you know I can't get away with not having this. God, you know this has to happen. And what happens is our, our misaligned loves start to come to the surface. We start to realize, oh man, like I want my will more than I want God's will. And the most important thing that needs to happen in that place is for God to become first in our lives instead of just that need that we hope will be answered. And so we pray saying, God, your will be done, not our will, like Jesus prayed, right, in the garden. 
that that is also bold prayer to say, God, come and do everything that you want to do in me. I surrender to you. So we reason to God, reason with God on the basis of what He's revealed. We surrender our own lives to Him. And then third, we find satisfaction in God. We find satisfaction in God. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And we may not receive everything that we think we need in any moment, but He says, I will give you Myself, My Holy Spirit, My presence, And He invites us to be completely satisfied in the knowledge that we are loved by God. To boldly come into His presence knowing nothing stands in the way of Him loving us. That He's revealed that through His Son, Jesus. So Tim Keller says, In God Himself, we have the headwaters and source of all we desire. Even if one of the tributaries of our joy, something in this world that we love, goes dry. Well, in March 2011, it had been almost two years, really, that I'd been asking God, what's next? I'd been seeking and knocking, and it felt like every one of the leads had run dry. It's not the right fit. It's not the right time. It's not, you know, our family can't move that far. All these things that just sort of come to an end, and I, I felt like I was just walking in this deep fog I often describe it like there was this valley, and I can see like two steps in front of me on the path, but the fog is just clouding everything, and I don't know what God is doing. And yet, in the midst of that journey, some amazing things happened in my life. I really think that two years before that, there was this pride in me, this presumption that I knew how things could operate. If someone would just hire me, like I could answer all their questions, right? I was convinced of that. And in this process of just praying and waiting, I began to learn how to wait, not just for God, but wait on God, right? When you wait on God, you just sit and you're with Him. And if He leads you to do something, you go do it. And if not, you just sit there with Him. And that was something I needed to learn how to do. This new intimacy with the Holy Spirit, this new, I think, humility before God of saying, okay, I don't know what's going on, and God, you can be in charge, began to change in my heart. God was doing important work in me. And in the middle of March 2011, I got a phone call from Pastor Rob Thiessen, who was the senior pastor here at uh, North Langley. And within four months, God had opened the door for me to come here to North Langley and become a pastor. After lots of asking and seeking and knocking, most certainly God had answered my prayer. And yet there's lots of prayers that I'm still praying. People who I love, who I long to know Jesus more, to trust Jesus, to give up fighting against Jesus. People I love who are struggling with sickness and, and, and fear and anxiety. Things I long to see happen in my life, in the life of, of our church, in the life of the church in Canada. And God keeps saying, just keep coming, keep pastoring me. What about you? What are the promises that you know are there in Scripture that you're longing God, to see God bring about in your life? There's a really interesting phrase in the, prophet, in the book of Isaiah 
that says this, you who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. And Isaiah is telling us that prayers are how God brings about the renewal of Israel. If you read the chapters before this, God says, I will establish Jerusalem and make her the praise of the earth. I'm going to restore you. So, give yourselves no rest and give me no rest until I do it. I'm going to do it. Now, pester me until I do it. This is the boldness that God gives permission to us for. Do we have that heart of prayer for our family, our friends, our neighbors, and co-workers? Do we have that heart of prayer for North Langley Community Church and our campuses and the ministry that God has given us across the world through our missionaries? Do we have that heart of prayer for the unity and the mission of the church in Canada? Are we willing to give ourselves no rest and to give God no rest until He fulfills for us exactly what He said He will do? I don't know about you, but when I hear that challenge, I wonder if I'm up for it. I know my prayers are feeble and inconsistent. They're they're not reflecting everything that Jesus is calling me to. And maybe that's true of you. So is all depending on our own fervency in prayer? Well, the amazing thing is that, that God knew how feeble our prayers can be. He even heard the feeble prayers of Israel and and the prayers that were offered up to him by the the watchmen who prayed and prayed and prayed for dawn to come were answered when God kept his promise and sent his son to be the savior of the world and then sent his spirit. We're told in the book of Hebrews that Jesus the son lived his life as bold and constant prayer to the father. Hebrews 5.7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverent submission. Not only that, but Scripture tells us that today, in this moment, Jesus boldly and eternally intercedes for us before the Father. Hebrews 7.24 and 25 says, Because Jesus lives forever... He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. And then finally, the Scriptures tell us that in our weakness, the Spirit boldly and continuously intercedes for us in accordance with God's will for our lives. Romans 8, 26 through 28 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. See, even when our prayers are feeble and inconsistent, they are joined up with the bold and constant prayers of Jesus, our high priest, and the, whole, and the Holy Spirit who pray in accordance with God's will. We always do have our needs perfectly presented to God. 
And the one who intercedes for us invites us to join our prayers in with His and to join in the joy of that perfect relationship with God. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you have a prayer that you have been praying, sometimes feebly, sometimes boldly to God, and you would just love to have someone join you in that prayer. That's the amazing thing about the body of Christ is we can join together. We can lock arms in this bold prayer. And so if you have come with something today that you'd love to be prayed for, our prayer team would love to do that with you in the prayer room or me or any of the staff would love to pray with you this morning after the service. But I encourage you too, if you're in a life group, that you reach out to that friend, those, those friends and say, would you lock arms with me? Reach out to your apprentice group and say, I, I've kept this to myself, but man, I need you to pray with me in this. That friend that you walk with in Christ, invite them into praying boldly and constantly with you to our Father. And now I want to invite you to pray as we give ourselves to God. Lord, we confess that sometimes because of our own experiences with friendship or with fatherhood, we begin to disbelieve that there's anyone who would care for us, that there's anyone who would be interested in us. And Lord, we know that sometimes as we wait, we get weary and we... We don't know if we can continue to pray. But Lord, we thank you that you have proven to us in all that you have given that you are the true friend. You are the true father. The one who both promises and gives us permission to pester you till the promises come through. But Lord, we admit that sometimes we just want the answer to our prayer and we have forgotten to be satisfied in you, in your great love for us, in the embrace of love that you give to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us for our small desires. Forgive us for being, thinking that we would be satisfied with just the little answers. When, when what you truly want to give us is yourself from whom all blessings flow. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that even today as we pray, we don't pray on our own word or our own behalf, but we stand with you as our high priest, the one who boldly enters into the courts of God to present our requests. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you intercede for us when all we have are wordless groans. So Lord, we give our requests and our longings to you. Even those deep ones that cause us to weep when we pray, God, we bring them to you. God, you have said that if we continually ask, most certainly we will receive. If we continually seek, we most certainly will find. If we continually knock, most certainly the door will be open. And so, God, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.